Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Church. First of all, thank you. First of all, um, our worship leader Nick, who's who's he texted me on Wednesday that he was not. He's he's got some sort of infection. So Alex came in on a short notice, and so big thank you to Alex for for filling in. Really, really appreciate it, and uh, we uh, we just want to bless him and just thank you. And we do want to keep Nick in prayer. We also want to keep Tom in prayer, Brother Tom, who many of you have not have, you, have not yet met, but uh, he is uh, he's a part of us for many years, and uh, we want to keep him in prayer. Keep also my mom in prayer. Her surgery went well, and she's recovering, and she and Alan are are home resting. So. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Hebrews, <coughs> and we are studying through this wonderful book. This uh, I, I'm blessed and challenged by this book. How many of you guys are enjoying this study in Hebrews? Amen. 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 Hebrews, of course, is a sermon, and uh, it's a pretty good sermon, actually. You made it to the scriptures, so... <laughs> We are in Hebrews chapter 9, and my intention is from verse 15 to 28, but I don't think I'll get that far, because <laughs> there's some real, uh, there's riches, uh, rich uh, truth into in the scriptures, and, uh, and, um, and so when we're in Hebrews chapter 9, and I'm going to read verse, I'm going to read verse 15 to 28, and then we'll get started from there. And for this reason, Hebrews 9, 15, and for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal, salva uh, eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, verse 16, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only men, when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses... To all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry he sprinkled with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter holy places made with hands, mere copies of the true ones but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy places year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested 
to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and then after this comes judgment so Christ also having offered once having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him now that's a big chunk of scripture and I, I don't think I'll get as far as I I'm always ambitious when I'm studying and think I'm going to get so far but then I realize no way you know my 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 job is to help explain the scriptures and and the Holy Spirit can apply it but um, let me just give you some uh, just some summary of where we've been Hebrews is a book that's written to uh, to a house church basically that of Jewish believers who have been through a lot of persecution a lot of trials and they had anticipated the, the coming of Christ to be sooner. They had gone through significant uh, persecution. And they're beginning to want to think, is Jesus the way? Should we go back to the law? Should we go back to Judaism? And the whole letter is to convince them, no, Jesus is superior to any other way you would find. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua. He's superior to Aaron. The new covenant is superior to the old covenant. And, and so he's, he's working on convincing them, right, of not turning away from Christ. He is the supremacy of Christ is the theme. And I've told that every Sunday. You guys have realized that. And if I ask you a few months after I say, what's Hebrews about? You're going to say the supremacy of Christ. And you'll say, I'll say, great, I did my job, right? So now, but now he's in this section where he just got finished talking about, um, we'll go back to verse 14. He's, talk, he's been talking about the new covenant that's superior. The new covenant where God sends his Holy Spirit to write his laws on our hearts, so to speak, to change us from within. Uh, following the Ten Commandments, following the, Ju Ju uh, the, the Old Testament law won't change you. It will make, make you more moral, maybe, but it doesn't change your heart, Right? And God says in both Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, and Jeremiah, which is uh, Jeremiah 31 is quoted in, in this section here, uh, I'm going to make a new covenant with you, and I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit, right? It's the work of God. But in verse 14, he says, How much more will the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish? Cleanse your heart, cleanse your conscience from dead work. So he's, what he's doing is his, I'm going to talk about the blood of Christ. And I think the theme of what he's doing here is the supremacy of the blood of Christ over the Old Testament blood that was sacrificed. Now, blood is a hard thing to talk about. Blood signifies death, and death is uncomfortable, is it not? Uh, but the reality is we serve a, a, a crucified Savior who is now risen, of course, who was sacrificed, and he was the Lamb of God that took, takes away the sins of the world. Why blood? The blood is because sin entered the world, Genesis 3, right? And the day you eat of it, the tree, in Genesis, uh, Genesis 3, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God says, die, the Hebrew says, dying you shall die. All of us are dying, right? And physically we're dying, are we not? How many of you guys get up in the morning and it's like, oh, that, not you young people, but some of us are older. <laughs> You haven't reached that point, but you get up and say, I remember when I weighed less weight and, I, and my bones didn't crinkle and for some reason my muscles, you know, getting out of bed is, is hard. We were at that and we realized. But the point is this. 
is that sin's consequence was death. Romans says the wages of sin is death. Okay? Sin has a consequence, and that's death. And death is separation from God. It's spiritual death as well. And so blood is necessary. And you have, uh, and throughout all the scripture, blood being uh, a sign of death. It was needed to pay uh, for sin. You have in Genesis, Abel presents his offering of blood, a sacrifice, and Cain presents his offering of grain. Abel's was accepted because it was costly. Something died, right? And in the Old Testament, of course, you have the blood sacrifices that we have, we have talked about in the past, uh, blood that, 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 is, uh, that, is sort of, that signifies that death has taken place and, and God's righteousness has been met. Okay? So I'm going to ask the question, why is the blood of Christ superior to the blood of the Old Testament sacrifices? I've got eight points. I'm not going to get through all eight points today, okay? Maybe four. Oh, yeah, so that means that's okay. So here's what I want you to do. First of all, as we're looking at the blood of, of Christ, first reason is that the blood reconciles sinners to God. Look at verse 15 with me, okay? And for this reason, what reason? Well, just the fact in verse 14, the fact that Christ cleansed our sins from dead works to God. For this reason... By his sacrifice, by his obtaining eternal redemption, he is the mediator of a new covenant. The word mediator is a word that it's uh, uh, mesites. It refers to an arbiter, people, somebody who brings two people together, right? You've, it happens in today, right? There's a mediation between two groups that are at odds, something. And usually what happens is that a compromise happens, right? Well, I got to get you guys and you guys together, and I got to help either you guys to accept a new deal, right? That's typically we think of a, a mediator who reconciles people at odds. Uh, Job sought for a mediator. He says this in Job 9, for he is not a man as I am that I may answer him, that we may go to court together, there is no umpire between us. Who may lay his hand upon, who may lay his hand upon? He's asking, there has to be a meter between me and God, and I don't know of one right now, right? Job knew, underst understood that he was at, and he's understanding his trials as being as, as odds for God, as odd, at, at, at odds with God. Caffeine has not kicked in. <laughs> Jesus Christ is our mediator be between us and God. But how does Christ mediate? If in the world they mediate by making some sort of concession and compromise. Well, this group wants this and group wants that. And a good arbitrator says, well, let's figure out how to get to the middle ground. That's how we would normally compromise and mediate and bring two groups together. Well, Christ does not mediate by compromise. He does not mediate by concession. He does not mediate by, by either cheating as well. But he mediates by removing the disagreement, the problem of sin between us and God. He mediates by paying the debt. And here's how he mediates. By completely changing us and making us new. So it's not that God reconciles to us. It's that we are reconciled to God. God doesn't change. Amen? We left God. We sinned against God. And reconciliation is that God's relationship to man, because of the redemption of Christ, is now man is now brought into more alignment with God's holy character. 
It's not God going down to our level. It's God stepping down through Jesus Christ, changing our hearts, changing our lives, giving us a new spirit, making things new, paying for our sin, and bringing us in alignment for God. It's not, God, are you with me or against me? No, am I with God is more of the question. See, sometimes what happens today, people want to bring God to our level and make God in our image. That's happening all over the place. That's idolatry. The point is not that God is reconciled to the sinner, but that sinners are adjusted to God's holy character. He is the mediator of a new covenant. He reconciles us to God. I want to look at a couple of scripture. We're going to do a combination sermon slash Bible study, okay? So I want you to turn to Romans 5. Let's look at a couple, couple cross-reference uh, about this idea. Romans chapter 5, go there, it's to your, your left. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. Or if, I like, I like, um, I like, I like pages, right? I, I have the, I have, um, I have a computer system, I have the latest uh, Bible software, really fancy stuff, but I like, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm old-fashioned, I'm a dinosaur, but um, and, and so I like having, and, and uh, God bless, you know. So Romans 5, verse 10. You guys with me? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. There's the idea of mediation. We were reconciled to God. We were reconciled to God, not God reconciled to us. For if while we were enemies... We are reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The Lord is calling you, Pedro. Reconcile. <laughs> oh, it's not Pedro, sorry. <laughs> God bless you, brother. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so he reconciles us to God through Jesus Christ. Go to Colossians 1. Go to your right from, from uh, Romans. Colossians 1. And verse 20. Colossians 1, 20. Paul says, and first of all, by this this section right here is 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 actually a, a, a wonderful passage about Christ. And uh, but he says, and through him, through Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds, but now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. That's the idea. He mediates, he reconciles us by changing us, right? And it's by the blood of Christ. Right? There, there's a... There's a um, there's two uh, in in the church today, and I'm, I might touch upon both. And there's there's two extremes. One extreme that wants to do away with talking about the blood of Christ. There, there's uh, in 
you know, a lot of progressive type of churches that want to do away with propitiation. <laughs> if I pronounce propitiation, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best here. That's, that wants to do away with the blood of Christ. They say that's barbaric. They, they say that's, um, that's child abuse, cosmic child abuse, you know, and all this kind of nonsense. But you, if you don't have the blood of Christ, you have no peace with God. You have no reconciliation with God. You are at odds with God. Without that blood of Christ, you are still enemies with God. That, this is foundational. In fact, I, I think the devil hates when we talk about the blood. Because the blood of Christ is not necessarily something you know, mystical about it, but it's, it speaks of death. And death is, of course, payment for sin. It's the wages of sin. You can't have the benefits of the cross without having the cross. Amen? And so it's uncomfortable. And we think, well, it's God is love. God is love, but he's also a just God. And the cross meets that just requirement. God is entitled, entitled as God to call things how he wants to call it, right? He is entitled to say, if you sin against me, the result is death. Why is that? Because sin is this. Here's what sin is. Sin, and this is the attitude of sin, is living contrary to God. It's living independently of God, which is if, as if Adam and Eve and all of us who were, as if we say, God, thank you, but no thank you, I'll do it on my own. And Okay, if you want to do it on your own, you know what the result of it is death. Because if you do it on your own, you're living independently of God, which means you're trying to live an existence without God's presence in your life, which means, I've used this analogy before, if you're an astronaut and you go into outer space without a spacesuit, the wages of that is death. Because you can't live independently of your spacesuit, and you can't live independently of God. So sin is that rebellion, and God says, that's the result. And Jesus Christ, of course, comes to reconcile us to God by changing us. Let me look at one more passage while we're, while we're here in, the, in Paul's letters. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, okay? 2 Corinthians 5. And and uh, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So then, we are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. We beg you on, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ reconciles us by his mediation. He reconciles us to God. Go back to Hebrews. So the first thing that the blood, why it's superior, the blood of Christ is superior because it actually does reconcile us to God, reconciles sinners to God. Verse 15, 
And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that, watch this, as since a death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses. Here's the second point. The second reason why Christ's blood is superior is that it redeems or frees sinners from the guilt of sin. Firstly, he reconciles us to God. Secondly, he redeems or frees sinners from the guilt of sin. You see that? Because of death has taken place, a death occurred as a ransom to set us free. And look what he says here. Now, I'm going to explain this, okay, as we go through this. Since the death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses that were committed under the first covenant. Now, I've got to explain a couple of things here, okay? First of all, this idea of ransom or redemption. There's a couple, a couple ideas that are here, okay? In the Greek language, there's a word called uh, uh, agorazo. It's like agora, right? It's a marketplace. Agora, if you go to Greece and you can visit a marketplace, you go to the agora. Or if you have fear of being out in public, you have agoraphobia, right? That's a Greek. So this, this first one Greek word is agorazo. It means to buy uh, in market. It means you, you are purchasing a slave in this aspect or a person or something in a market you're purchasing. And it's a word that's used in 1 Corinthians 6.20 for you were bought with a price. You were bought, bought God purchased you as a slave to sin. He purchased you with his blood. Then there's another word that's, that's very similar. It's ex agorazo, which means not only are you purchased, but then you're off the market. So sometimes you go to the store and you buy something only to resell it. This other word is to buy off the market with the added notion that you can't be sold anymore. So when God purchased you, it's for himself that he purchased you off the market, right? Removed from sale. Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He redeemed us from that curse. He purchased us. He freed us. Once he freed us, we are no longer slaves to sin. Now, essentially, we're slaves to God, which is actually, he's the best master, amen? Um, the devil's not a good master. He's not a good master. That's why we call him Lord. We do call him Lord still, Amen? I have a hard time when people just talk about Jesus without calling him Lord Jesus because he is Jesus, but he's also my Lord, right? But anyway, but here in, here in this text, in Hebrews 9, verse 15, it's the word lutrao, which means to set free or to let loose. And it's a word that actually means to free a slave, to free a slave. Um, Maybe let's look at, well, look, look at uh, Hebrews 11. I mean, I think, there's, I think it's, look at Hebrews 11. Um, it's, it's used in verse 35. I don't know if it, if, it's, if it really adds as much, but in verse 35, this particular word is used. It says, women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release. That's the idea, Okay. Uh, that's the that's the word that's used there. But the idea is that that Jesus Christ releases us or delivers us, first of all, from the penalty of sin. Right. We're no longer bound or going to be punished for sin. If he take our, took our place, he uh, he stood in our place for that penalty. So Matthew 20. OK, first of all, 
we're going to have Bible study. So just, we're going to look through pages. So Matthew 20, okay? Uh, what was the ad? Remember the Yellow Pages? Remember, how many of you guys remember Yellow Pages? What was the advertisement for Yellow Pages? Let your fingers do the walking, right? Okay, we're going we're gonna, to, we're, Yellow Pages have nothing on Bible study today, right? So Matthew 20, look at Matthew 20. This is, this is the idea that is used in Matthew 20 and verse 28 of this redemption or freeing is the idea, a freeing a slave. In Matthew 20, Jesus says these, um, I'll let you get there in a second, in verse, um, verse 28, and just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, be, but to serve, rather, and to give his life as a ransom for many, a redemption. I'm, my life is the price given in exchange to, for your freedom. That's the idea. The redemption of many. And what were we in, in under uh, bondage to? Well, for one thing, we are in bondage to sin's penalty, right? Um, he delivered us uh, from sin's penalty. That's why Romans says, Paul says in Romans, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation because you've been free from that. Christ purchased your freedom and you're free from the judgment of sin. That, that's what makes the gospel such wonderful news is the judgment of God, the wrath of God was poured on Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took that for us. So as Christians, we have been freed from that penalty. Now, we don't feel anything emotionally necessarily unless we really meditate and think about it, but it's a transaction that happened that in God's economy that Christ paid for that, Right? He delivered us on account of our transgression. We were disobedient, but he was faithful to redeem us. He also rele uh, releases us or redeems us from slavery to sin. Jesus says in John 8, Therefore, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And Paul says in Romans, Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Now go back to Hebrews, because I need to point something out here in verse 15. He says, notice with me in verse 15, that so that since the death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses, we got that so far, right? That were committed under the first covenant. What does that mean? Okay, obviously before Christ, you have the, Mosaic, you have the law. And the question was, well, how did the Old Testament believers, how did they get saved, right? And obviously we know as we've studied Hebrews and, and, and um, have come to understand that, that God had a, a sacrificial system where animals were sacrificed. Well, we know that the blood of animals really didn't really, really cleanse sins. But it was almost like God knew this. He knew in the span of time, first of all, God is, so we think of past, present, future, but God's outside time, which means everything is, like present. <laughs> to us, we're traveling through time, discovering new things, but to God, past, present, and future is the same. That's why it says Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. So everything is, so in God's timeline, the cross has happened that took care of both Old Testament and New Testament believers, right? 
They looked forward to that Messiah. They knew that what was going on in the temple, that the sacrifices were presenting every day, every week, and then once a year, that special sacrifice in the Day of Atonement was sort of like buying time, but like on credit, so to speak. God knew that I'm going to send my son, that he's going to satisfy all both, both times, right? Old Testament believers look forward to the time when, when Jesus would come, when the Messiah would come, and of course, we look back to that, you know? And so, um, so Old Testament believers anticipated God's provision of the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That's why Paul says in Romans that we are justified by grace through the redemption of his son, which is in Christ Jesus. And that he, he uh, Romans 3.25 says, for God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance of can you look there? Can I? Yeah, go, go to Romans. I'm looking into you. Look with me. Romans 3. I just realized I'm, uh, I, I don't want to leave you guys uh, on this. This is an important verse. This is all very important. You guys with me? Yeah. All right. Okay. And by the way, just as a side note, okay, just, okay, I'm going to step away from the, from the pulpit here, okay? Most of us are introverts, right? It's okay if you feel led to say amen or hallelujah, you have permission. You have freedom, okay? Okay, this is a, you know, we're, we're, okay, there you go. You know, as the spirit leads, you know, as, not, not in weird times, okay? Because then you look weird, you know, but, you know, as it's appropriate, you have, we have the freedom. And if you want to say amen with, between you and God, that's fine. There's no judgment. But if you're more vocal, go for it, you know? Just don't stand up here and try to take over right now. <laughs> Romans 3. Wow, look at the time. No. <laughs> We're, I'm not going to get through eight, eight points today, so that's okay. We have uh, Romans, did I say Romans 3? Yeah, I better get that. You guys are already there. Uh, uh, 3, uh, 24 and 25. Romans 3. Such a good section. Th yeah, you know, let me start in 21, just because it starts the paragraph. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here it is, verse 24 being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, the freeing, the release, which is in Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. I'm, every time I say the word, I'm just going to think, did I say it right? As a propiti propitiation in his blood through faith. Here it is. For a demonstration of his righteousness because of the forbearance of God, he passed over the sin's previously committed. Let me read that again. I'll explain it because this is very important. For a demonstration of his righteousness, when he sent Jesus to, to take our place and atone for our sin, to cleanse our sin, to propitiate for our sin, it was a fulfillment of his righteousness, right? Why? Because sin demands death, right? And up to this point, only thing that have died are the animals. Well, the animals can't really be our substitute, can they? They're almost like a placeholder. They're almost like here. Here is a picture of what, um, 
uh, of what's going to happen. Somebody wants to receive the Lord. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> okay. First of all, we're very thankful for the music school that allows us to use our space. So uh, they, we, we bless them and uh, we, we are really appreciated. But up until the point of the cross, it's almost as if God has, okay, that hasn't been really been cleansed, right? That's why Hebrews has argued um, that year after year, the priest comes back, right? And, and year after year and time after time, people are still conscious of their sins because that really hasn't been dealt with. But God, showing his righteousness, knowing that sin demands death and death of the human being who is without sin, he's now taking care of that requirement that's been building up. Right? Now Christ, here's the thing, under the old covenant, when you sacrificed an animal, it was good until the next time, the next same, until the next year where all the sins built up again. It was like you hit reset and it's it built up again. Well, here, Jesus' sacrifice, it takes care of it all. All levels, all times, everyone on, that has ever sinned or will ever sin, it's, it satisfies God's requirement. Amen? And so that's why he says, as a demonstration of his righteousness, the cross God's righteousness was there has to be death for sin because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously. Like he didn't hold it against man in one sense. He says, I know my son's coming, so I'm just going to give you credit, so to speak, you know. You're living on credit until Jesus comes and pays off the debt, amen. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus delivers us, he redeems us, and frees us from sin. Now go back to Romans, uh, Romans, Hebrews. We're in Hebrews, aren't we? Hebrews 9. I will get out of verse 15 eventually. So Hebrews 9. He, his blood is superior, first of all, because he is the mediator or he, or he reconciles us to God. Secondly, of course, he redeems us or frees us from both the penalty of sin and also the slavery to sin. Uh, this includes, of course, uh, um, dealing with sins that were committed under the first covenant. Um, the Old Testament believers looked forward to this. We look back. Um, but then he also enables us to receive eternal inheritance. That's my third point. He enables us to receive. The word there is receive. I got all R, R words to begin with R, Okay. Verse 15, again, look at this. Um, Since a death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So he reconciles us to God. He releases us from both the penalty of sin and being slaves to sin and allows us to receive in in this internal, eternal inheritance. When Israelite came out of Egypt, they were to travel to the promised land that was their inheritance, right? Um, we are promised eternal inheritance. Now, what does inheritance refer to? It refers to many things. It refers to the world to come, according to Hebrews 2.5. Uh, he did not subject angels the world to come, concerning what we are speaking. 
It is the promise of glory, according to Hebrews 2.10. It is the promise of resurrection from the dead. It's the better and lasting possession, according to Hebrews 10.34. It's the city whose foundations and architect is God. It's the promise of a better country, a heavenly one, according to Hebrews 11. The Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's the promise of the kingdom that cannot be shaken, the city that is to come. The promise of eternal inheritance, of course, is the promise of eternal life, of eternal kingdom prepared for those God has prepared for. Matthew 24 says, 25 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed in my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's the promise of eternal life. Amen? He rescues us so that we are able to receive eternal life. All the hindrances from eternal life uh, of salvation have been removed. As we talked about last week, remember the tabernacle that we went into? We discovered that there was a veil between the presence of God and the rest of us, right? Jesus Christ, by his death, has removed that veil so that access to God is free to those who are under the blood of Christ, right? No more veil. The just penalty has been paid. Look at First Peter. Go to, to go to your uh, your right, right? Am I right? Yeah, right. You're right. Wait. Go to your right. First Peter. Just want to read a, a scripture regarding this. First Peter one. Verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, having kept for you in heaven. Let me read it again. To obtain an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, and kept for you in heaven. That's good news. There is, there is eternal life. There's the eternal inheritance and the blessings of the God because of Jesus Christ. All right, go back to Hebrews. I'm going to try to cover one more point, okay? Oh, boy. You guys, you guys are good and patient, and I... Romans, uh, Hebrews 9... I keep saying Romans, but it's Hebrews we're in. We're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews now. Go back to Hebrews. You there? Okay. Now verse 16. We did make it out of verse 15. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The blood of Christ not only reconciles sinners to God, it not only redeems us from sin, the penalty of sin, the release, you know, in the in um, the release from the judgment. It not only enables us to receive eternal inheritance, but fourthly, the blood of Christ is that which ratifies the new covenant. Now, this is important. This is this section right here. We're going to take some time. What's going on here? Well, let me just read here what it says. For where a covenant is, there must be of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Now stop right there. 
How many of you guys bi have Bibles that says testament or will in it? Okay. So how many of you guys have covenant in verse 16 and 17? Okay. Now, this is, this is uh, getting a little technical, but the, the word is covenant. Okay. He's been talking about covenant. It's the word diatheke in Greek. And a covenant, of course, is an agreement between two people, right? Some translators, translators want to test, uh, translate as will or testament. When you think of a oh, last will and testament, you think of somebody that's going to pass down their, their stuff to people that they care for, right? And so when that person dies, they get the stuff, right? That's typically, right? But here, the, the word covenant is a better translation because it fits the context. It fits the actual practice of the first century, a covenant was ratified by death. Okay, so here's what he's doing. He's, he's saying the blood of Christ paid for the transgression of that old covenant, remember? They, they passed a covenant between God and, and, and you know, Mosaic covenant, and the people say, yeah, we'll do this, right? And, no, and, and they, dis, they say, God, we will... We will we will agree to this covenant. We agree to the terms of the covenant. Exodus chapter 19, Exodus 24. We'll look at that maybe next week. They stood before God and says, yeah, God says, I'm going to be your God. You'll be my people. And if, if you obey my covenant, I'll, I'll bless your land. I'll give you, make you fruitful, multiply, give you fruit and vegetables and make your sheep and goats multiply and then bless you, right? But if you disobey, there's curses, right? And Moses read the law to them and they understood completely. And he said, yeah, sounds good to us. We will do this. That was the terms. But then they transgressed. They sinned against that covenant. You know, part of the reason why they got cast out of Israel and got deported by the Babylonians and Assyrians. And so Jesus sent, first of all, to of course pay for the transgressions from Genesis 3, but also including all the transgressions of Israel. And, right? So that first covenant had a payment of death against the transgressions. But covenants also had death at the beginning of it. So what the writer here is doing, he's saying, Christ also satisfies the transgressions of the first covenant, but now there's a new covenant that also has to be ratified in death. So when they did a covenant, two people would get together and say, here's our covenant agreement. Now, to show how serious we are in both of us um, fulfilling the obligations of this agreement, they would take animals and they would sacrifice these animals, and they would lay it up in a row, and they would go back to back. They would go back to back, reciting the terms and reciting the, the, the curses. Of, and basically they're saying, as we pass through these animals, let, ha le let what happened to these animals symbolize what will happen to us if we break it. So you see in Genesis where God says, Abraham, I have a covenant with you. And when it came time to ratify that covenant, this is the beginning, right at the beginning of, this is Genesis 15, I think it is. He gets Abraham, and Abraham is sleeping. And God himself goes through the animals by himself, saying, I will take the responsibility upon me personally, by myself, to make sure that my covenant, which was unconditional, I promise to make you a blessing, give you land, make you... Um, make you fruitful and everything else, God took it on himself to fulfill that. So a covenant had, had a death, and what happened is they would, it would be a, uh, a symbolic death of the people. 
right, saying we are committed at symboli- uh, symbolically, ritualistically to, to, be di- to, to die, so to speak, in entering this covenant. So what does Jesus do? Jesus, now this is really, really cool. Jesus ratifies a new covenant with us in the same way. Um, go to Luke chapter 22. And we're going to lead into our time of communion with this. I'm not going to develop this last point fully today. Uh, there's a lot to be said. We'll, we'll continue next week. But look what Jesus does in, uh, in Luke 22 at the Last Supper. In fact, I'm going to read this. And I'm going to also probably read it again when we enter, when we do our, our time of communion today. But he says in verse 20, in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the what? The new covenant in my blood. So in one sense, this is interesting. In one sense, the cross is the payment of the, the transgressions of the old covenant but it's also the initiation of a new covenant in his blood. A new covenant that he promises to fulfill, right? What's that promise? The promise is, I'm going to go to the death for you, but I'm also going to give you eternal life to those who place your faith in me. It's that simple. It's a new covenant in my blood. A death was necessary to ratify covenants It was necessary to initiate the terms of the covenant. The covenant required death. And Jesus Christ takes our place in ratifying a new covenant, the new covenant with with God, as our representative, as our sacrifice, as our mediator, as our priest, as our advocate before a holy God. We don't have to go before God on our own. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Part of the terms of the covenant is like, I agree to not only take your place on the cross, but take, be your representative before God. And we have such a wonderful God, Jesus Christ, who does that willingly. And he's really good at it, amen? And his blood was, 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 was sufficient enough so that God says, okay, the veil's been torn, come on in. My son's blood was sufficient. And now all it takes is this. All it takes is saying, Lord, I place my faith in you. I don't want to stand before God on my own in my own filthy rags of unrighteousness. Lord, let it be that you stand before God in my behalf. I wouldn't even know what to say before a holy God. I wouldn't even know. If I would show up to court and if, if it was a small claims court, order, I would be scared to death. What do I say? Do I call you honor? Do I, do I bow? Do I kiss your ring? You know, what, what, what do I do? Jesus knows all the product, but he's also worthy to stand before God as a lamb that was shed before the foundation of the world, as the one who was faithful to stand for it. That's why our, that, who needs another Jesus, Right? Who needs another gospel? Why is there another gospel? Is this not good news enough? Is it not suffi- if it was sufficient in God's eyes, why is it not sufficient in ours? Amen? 
Don't rely on your sacrifice to pay for your sins. Don't rely on your good works to pay for sins. Don't rely on you doing penance to pay for your, pay for your sins. It's Christ only. It's Christ only. And he is the one who has redeemed us. He's the one who's purchased us. And he's the one who's, who's reconciled us to God. What a good God we serve. What a good God we serve. Let's do this. I'm going to stop here. I have more points next week. But I just want to take this time as, as we're going to have a time of communion. And as let's, let's close the lights down. And, and as we are about to, to participate, part, to partake of the Lord's Supper, think about this. That because of Jesus Christ, God is not at odds with you. He's not your enemy, right? If you're a believer, you're his child. And he loves you. If you're not a believer, the wrath of God is upon you. If you're not a believer, you are standing before God on your own in your sin. Come to Christ. It's that simple. Humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust in what you did to make me right with God. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, first of all, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we just prepare our hearts to receive communion, the Lord's Supper, that we would meditate and think about the blood that was shed for us so that we would have an inheritance, eternal inheritance, undefiled, that will not fade away, that the promise of eternal life has been guaranteed by the blood of Christ. If there's anyone watching online or anyone here today, physically that doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would draw them to place their faith in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, Rob, would you come up and, and maybe we can, um, Rob's going to pass out the uh, communion. There's, they're double cupped. Yep. Okay, wonderful. And then take it and just take some time to prepare your hearts. And then once everybody has communion, then I'll lead us in prayer and into the um, partaking of the elements.
Paul writes, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, you willingly gave yourself to be sacrificed, Lord. It was not that God forced you, but you willingly said, Lord, Father, let your will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. You went to the cross knowing what that would entail. You took the lashes on your back, the punches to your face, your beard being pulled, the crown of thorns on your head. You had the stress and the agony in the garden, sweating, drops of blood. And then, of course, you had the insults that were cast at you. Your arms were spread out, Lord. The nails were nailed to your, your hands and your feet. Out in public, in an open place where people can observe, Lord. You willingly did this and gave yourself to be broken for us. We are forever grateful to you, Lord. Now let's taste, or let's partake together, rather, the bread that symbolizes his body that was broken. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Let's partake together. Paul continues, in the same way he took the cup also after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we are grateful for your blood. Your sinless, spotless blood as that of the Lamb who knew no sin, as the Lamb of God. But you allow yourself to be a sacrifice for us. And your blood signifies your death. Lord, what good news that is, Lord. Lord, thank you for your blood that washes away our sins, that cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. Bless the Lord. Why don't we stand up? Let me stand up. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, good day. Amen. Christ is alive and uh, he is uh, he is faithful and kind and just uh, first of all, before I pronounce our, our blessing, just uh, just want to say uh, how appreciative I am for, you know, for you guys as our church and we just the love that God has, you know, the thing that God is doing, you know, this 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 unity of love that He's that the Holy Spirit has, has brought us together, and um, I don't know, I I'm just, uh, just Lord, you're, it's your church, and uh, just appreciate it for uh, for doing what He's doing, and uh, well, let me pronounce the blessing on you guys. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Remember, we've got students this week. We've got men's. We've got ladies. And we have... Okay, yes. Oh, yes. Normally, we put the chairs away. Leave the chairs because they have a recital in here at 1 o'clock. So let's just...
bless them by not putting the chairs away. So 